You're listening to Asia First Weekend Edition this Saturday morning. A very good morning to you. Crossing now to Simon Marks, our US Bureau Chief in Washington, D.C. Hi, Simon. Hello, Justine. Thanks so much uh, for joining us here in Singapore. Let's start off uh, with President Biden. Uh, He touched down in Italy, uh, obviously, for the G20 summit. Uh, He's uh, stopped at the Vatican to meet with the Pope and also met with Emmanuel Macron, the French president, to talk, uh, uh, well, to try and, I guess, uh, smooth out uh, those uh, recent tensions. Yeah, he had a very busy uh, day upon arrival in Rome. In addition to those two meetings, he also had a meeting with the Italian Prime Minister Mario Draghi. Um, but it is uh, a tension, I think, that is focused on the first two meetings, his meeting with Pope Francis at the Vatican, which lasted longer than expected. They were together for 90 minutes. We're told that uh, as uh, other officials uh, waited uh, for the the, uh, the Pope and President Biden to emerge from their meeting, uh, senior Vatican officials kept glancing at their watch and expressing surprise that the meeting went on for so long. But in some ways, it's not surprising. Joe Biden is a devout Roman Catholic, the second Catholic uh, to occupy uh, the Oval Office after, of course, John F. Kennedy. And so for him, this meeting uh, was as much personal and spiritual uh, as it was political. Now, they certainly had uh, big items of policy to discuss and principles among them, we're told by the White House uh, in, I have to say, a pretty short uh, readout of the meeting uh, in stark contrast to the length of the meeting. But principal among those issues was climate change. Uh, The Pope, of course, earlier in the week ahead of the COP26 climate change summit uh, in Glasgow that will be getting underway in a few days time had expressed expressed grave concern about the impacts of human activity uh, on the environment. Uh, Senior administration officials Traveling with the president uh, were hesitant to go into very much detail about other aspects uh, of the meeting uh, between President Biden and the Pope. We do not know uh, because they won't disclose to what extent abortion was discussed uh, during the meeting. Uh, Remember, of course, that uh, President Biden heads a party uh, that is committed politically to a woman's right to choose in the United States at a time uh, when Republicans are very much hoping uh, to roll back abortion rights in America as a result of the uh, conservative tilt of the Supreme Court uh, following the justices appointed by President Donald Trump during his four years uh, in the White House. Uh, You know, there were all sorts of questions for uh, top White House officials ahead of this meeting as to whether Joe Biden and the Pope were going to discuss the issue of abortion in detail. We don't know if that happened. And then uh, the president, of course, met with uh, French President Emmanuel Macron following uh, America's decision essentially to pull the rug out from beneath the French uh, in conjunction with the United Kingdom, announcing that the U.S. will supply nuclear powered submarines to the Australians, uh, the Australians who had previously been negotiating to buy Uh, noisier diesel-powered submarines from the French. That, of course, led to the French President Emmanuel Macron withdrawing his ambassador from the United States in fury. Well, today, President Biden uh, conceded that his government had been clumsy in its handling of all of this, but he turned to uh, President Macron in front of the cameras and said that he had honestly believed 
that President Macron had been informed much earlier in the process uh, that the Americans were pursuing this agreement with the Australians. Now, that raises a whole host of fresh questions. Uh, who did President Biden think had informed the French president uh, about this? Why did President Biden himself not even mention it when the two men were sitting side by side in the Cornish sunshine at the G7 meeting uh, back in uh, June? And, and, and wasn't President Biden surprised when during that meeting Emmanuel Macron did not raise the issue if the president claims now that he thought Emmanuel Macron knew all about it. So there's all sorts of questions uh, about where that claim is coming from. And does the president think that anyone in his own inner circle uh, messed up by not disclosing this to the French? And will they pay any kind of consequences? I don't think we're going to get the answers to those questions unless and until reporters get to uh, talk to Joe Biden at, uh, at a press conference over uh, the next few days. But it certainly indicated that even now, and despite much talk today of historic friendships uh, across the Atlantic between Washington and Paris uh, and new agreements being struck between uh, the two countries, even now, uh, it's pretty evident that there is an enormous amount of cleanup that the president still needs to do. Mm. And, and Simon, now President Biden uh, going to COP26, of course, starting in Glasgow uh, on Monday. He had hoped, though, to have his climate policy passed. Of course, it was around about $500 billion worth uh, of that um, spending on green policies, part of his Build Back Better Social Welfare package. But that uh, looks unlikely to happen. Well, I mean, it's pretty extraordinary because, you know, here we are at the end of another so-called make or break week for the Biden presidency in which the president once again has failed to get the key planks of his legislative agenda passed on Capitol Hill. And that's because of internal warfare among his own fellow Democrats. Remember, the Democrats enjoy a wafer thin majority uh, on Capitol Hill. President Biden needs every single vote to get these massive pieces of legislation passed and he's found it extremely difficult to thread the needle and to make that happen. Now, White House officials said all week long that the president was determined that he wanted to leave Washington with this legislative victory in his back pocket, particularly uh, on the issue of the climate change provisions, because he wanted to trumpet them uh, at the COP26 in Glasgow and say that they absolutely indicate a new approach by the United States toward climate change. Well, the votes haven't taken place. That didn't stop Joe Biden from taking to the East Room of the White House on Thursday to proclaim victory and to say that he has now agreed what he called an economic framework with members of Congress. But there's a huge difference, as he knows, between informally agreeing an economic framework and actually getting it passed into law. And it's that last hurdle that remains uh, between the president and a true victory lap. Now, as of Thursday night here, it seemed possible that the left-wing progressives uh, in the Democratic Party, who have bedeviled Joe Biden's hopes throughout all of this, may now be ready to move forward and support his proposals. But there aren't going to be votes, at least until uh, the beginning of next week. And it's perfectly possible that as members of Congress start poring over the texts of these bills that have now been uh, finalized after all of these compromise talks, there are going to be further 
problems on the road to legislative victory. So Joe Biden is in Europe essentially with nothing really to point to. He says he's over there to galvanize the G20 and uh, the world leaders attending the COP20 climate change summit in a bid to confront China and the other competitors uh, on the world stage that the United States faces and to rally support for that message. But he hasn't really got a bedrock of achievement on Congress that he can in Congress that he can point to as he seeks to advance that agenda. And there's no question that that puts him in a weak position over the next few days. You're listening to Asia First Weekend Edition this Saturday morning. Me, Justine Moss, speaking to Simon Marks, our U.S. Bureau Chief in Washington, D.C. Simon, let's swing over to Taiwan now. And uh, the top U.S. representative there has said that the U.S. is committed to helping Taiwan defend itself. And and her remarks uh, do come um, as tension, of course, between China and Taiwan. That's escalated in recent weeks uh, with some military incursions. Um, And also comes a week uh, after President Biden said that the U.S. would defend Taiwan if China attacked. Yeah, and the rhetoric all week long as President Biden has prepared to head overseas uh, has been uh, intensifying over Taiwan. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said this week that Taiwan should be allowed to play a full role at the United Nations. Remember that Taipei lost the UN seat uh, 50 years ago when the United States and the United Nations recognized the PRC as uh, the one China and handed the UN seat uh, to Beijing. So Beijing was furious about that. Angry too, uh, after President Tsai Ing-wen confirmed the presence of U.S. military trainers uh, in Taiwan, who are in numbers that have not been disclosed, training the Taiwanese military. Uh, And so this is definitely now a new point of tension in a relationship between Washington and Beijing that is pockmarked with fresh tension. This was the week in which the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, expressed grave concern uh, over what he says was a test by China of a nuclear-capable hypersonic weapon. Uh, He uh, stopped short of equating it with uh, the Sputnik moment back in the 1950s when uh, the United States was taken by surprise by the Soviet Union putting the first satellite into orbit. But he did he did use the phrase Sputnik moment. He said it might not quite rise to the level of that, but it definitely has seized the attention uh, of the Pentagon. And we're seeing President Biden take all of these discussions about China on the road with him, senior administration official uh, saying that uh, the conversation with Emmanuel Macron today uh, focused in places on China, a three dimensional approach. Uh, the administration official saying that the U.S. strategy has elements that are adversarial, elements that are competitive and elements that are cooperative and the European approach is basically the same, he claimed. But certainly this week, it has seemed that here in the United States, the administration has been more focused on the adversarial elements uh, in the relationship, Taiwan, uh, human rights, the hypersonic weapon test, and less on the competitive and cooperative aspects of all of this. And remember that many of these issues are going to be discussed by President Biden when he holds that uh, virtual face-to-face meeting uh, with President Xi. We don't know when that's going to happen, sometime between now and the end of the year, because, of course, they won't be meeting face-to-face 
at G20 or at COP26 because the Chinese leader's not attending either uh, of those meetings, something that the Biden administration sort of tweaked Beijing uh, about a little bit this week, insisting that President Biden, merely by dint of showing up at these international gatherings, was demonstrating a leadership role on the world stage and by inference suggesting that by sitting it out, President Xi was very much ceding that leadership role to President Biden. I think there'll be lots of other world leaders that might view that a little bit differently. Simon, let's go to U.S. domestic news now. Uh, U.S. consumer spending increased solidly uh, in September. That's according to the Commerce Department, rising 0.6% last month. Yeah, and that was a, a better bit of economic data for the markets to digest at the end of this trading week. But it was also accompanied by some concerning signs uh, that prices are rising, uh, wages jumped 0.8%, uh, and it's pretty clear to economists that the country is now uh, flirting with an inf inflationary era. And I mean, you know, I can tell you just from, from my own personal observations, there is no question whatsoever that prices are rising here in the United States for all sorts of uh, everyday uh, goods, uh, not necessarily the big consumer durables that are sitting on some of those uh, container ships uh, off the coast of California. But I mean, you know, the basic stuff, bread, milk, uh, you know, the basic weekly, weekly basket of shopping is definitely going up in price. And certainly here in Washington, D.C., restaurant prices. Prices are rising uh, substantially, uh, as I think the hospitality sector, which has been so hard hit by COVID-19, seeks to make up lost ground uh, in all those uh, weeks when they were either locked down in some parts of the country or their uh, trading activities were very, very heavily restricted. In terms of trading activity on the markets, the Dow Jones Industrial Average uh, ended Friday a quarter of a percentage point higher. The Standard and Poor, the S&P 500. Uh, up uh, almost 0.2 percentage point in value and the Nasdaq up about a third of a, uh, a point uh, in value in Friday's trading. So uh, the market's certainly ending the week in a pretty positive uh, mood. But there is still, I think, anxiety uh, about uh, jobs numbers, about jobs creation, about changes uh, in the structure of the employment market here uh, and those inflationary pressures uh, that uh, concern the markets and they'll be uh, keeping an eye on the economic data that comes out next week uh, to see what kind of a mood they uh, they all feel they ought to be in, uh, given the vagaries of some of the data that we've seen over the last few weeks. Simon, thanks again so much for keeping us updated here in Singapore. Appreciate it and uh, talk to you again tomorrow. Sounds good, Justine. I'll talk to you then. Simon Marks, our US Bureau Chief in Washington, D.C.